Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. This episode contains discussions of family and domestic violence. If this is triggering for you, give this one a miss. And if you need help, please call 1-800-RESPECT. The year is 1927. Sydney is in a post-war party that's been raging on for almost a decade. The suburb of Darlinghurst is the beating heart of it all. And the surrounding areas of King's Cross, Potts Point, Woolloomooloo and Surrey Hills are slums of debauchery, crime and vices. It's an underworld run by two rival crime queens, Kate Lee and Tilly Devine. In an effort to stamp out excessive alcohol consumption, pubs have shut at 6pm since 1916, giving rise to what they call the six o'clock swill, where punters attempt to drink as much as they can in the final minutes before six, before being tossed out and sent home. But thirsty working-class Sydney ciders have the money and the appetite for more. So, the Sly Grog business is born. Unlicensed hotels and liquor stores are concealed behind butcher shops and florists. There's one on every corner, and chances are if you're somewhere in East Sydney, Kate Lee supplied the Sly Grog you're drinking. As you sip that overpriced, watered-down whisky, you're probably no more than a stone's throw from one of Tilly Devine's parlours. The London-born madam has a gift for acquiring brothels. She's just 26 and controls some 20 brothels in Darlinghurst alone. Kate Lee and Tilly Devine have a stranglehold on their respective businesses. But in a city of sin, with egos like theirs, blood will spill over and over again for control of the streets of Darlinghurst or Razorhurst as it's about to become known. This is True Crime Conversations, a Mamma Mia podcast exploring the world's most notorious crimes by speaking to the people who know the most about them. My name is Emma Gillespie And this month, we're examining the life and crimes of Kate Lee and Tilly Devine. Once known as the worst women in Sydney, a sly grog matriarch and a brothel queen's relentless entrepreneurial spirit saw them pulling the strings amidst the violent and bloody razor wars of the 20s and 30s. But in a world where women were still far from achieving basic equality with men, how did Kate and Tilly manage to have it all? I'm speaking with journalist and author Larry Reiter to learn more about Tilly Devine, who she was, how she found her way to Australia and how she rose to become one of the country's most infamous folk figures. Larry wrote Razor, the book that would go on to inspire the fourth season of the critically acclaimed Australian crime drama series Underbelly Razor. 
Larry, today East Sydney, the pocket sort of King's Cross and surrounds is in, it's one of the most expensive areas of the city and the country. But it wasn't always like that. Can you take me back to Darlinghurst and King's Cross in the 1920s? Well, by that time, most of the wealthy people or people with jobs had taken advantage of the new public transport grid and had moved away from the inner city. And they were living in the garden suburbs of Rockdale and Burwood and Mossman and places like that. And they left the city to the poor, the people who worked in the factories down at Wollamaloo and in Surrey Hills and Darlinghurst and places like that. So you've got a lot of poverty. You've got people living in terrible circumstances, ramshackle housing, falling down places, no electric lights, sometime a toilet out the back. There was no garbage collection then, so what people would do would they burn their rubbish in the incinerator, either in the backyard or a communal one in the street. And so the whole area would be suffused in thick smoke. You'd have kids running around. There were stray dogs and cats everywhere. They didn't have chipping or any of those things that we have today. There were a lot of pubs. There was a lot of drinking during the day. There was a lot of domestic violence. One of the reasons for that is that so many of the men had returned from the war and they'd been traumatised. And in those days, no one knew anything about what war can do to somebody. So you have violent men, you have men whose ambitions to pick up the career they had before they went away had been thwarted by circumstance and the depression. And so they spent a lot of time being drunk and just getting up to no good. And to earn money, they turned to crime. So usually where there's poverty, there's crime, and that was certainly the case in the laneways and alleyways of the inner east of Sydney. Larry, we know that Tilly Devine would eventually make a name as one of Sydney's most notorious underworld figures, but she was born on the other side of the world. Can you tell me about what we know about Tilly Devine's childhood? Tilly was born in Camberwell in London in 1900, and Camberwell in those days was a slum. It was one of the poorest places in England. And she actually lived in a, it was kind of a stable. And there were horses that had an earthen floor. She was one of a number of children. And the family were very poor. And what she would do as a little girl would be to walk across the bridge to the other side of the river to the more upscale side of Camberwell. And she'd look in the windows of the dress shops and she'd hang around the music halls and just yearn for the glamour that, to all intents and purposes, looked as though she'd never be able to enjoy in her life. She actually worked in a match factory and in a bookbinding factory as a very young girl, 10 or 11 or 12. And then when she grew into her teens, she decided the only way that she could accumulate some money and realise her ambitions was to become a sex worker, which is what she did. And she worked on the Strand in London and she was arrested a number of times and was taken to the Bow Street lockup in Magistrates Court just near Covent Garden there. And in fact, when I was researching the book, I went there and saw the cells, which are the same today as they were back in 1916. And during the war, Tilly was working on the Strand and she was approached by an Australian serviceman called Jim Devine. And he was a big, beefy, thuggish guy from Sydney. And he actually claimed to her that he was a wealthy man who owned a kangaroo farm back in Australia. And she believed him, being naive and ingenuous. And they got together and 
they got married in 1917 in the church in Camberwell. They almost immediately had a young son called Frederick and her parents, who knew the kind of life that Tilly had decided to follow when Tilly said she was going to follow Jim to Sydney as a war bride in 1920, refused to let her take Frederick with her. So Frederick stayed at home in London and he would be reunited with his mother 50 years later, but by that time it was all too late and they never really got on. But Tilly arrived in 1920 on the ship Waimana and docked in Sydney and started selling in William Street what she'd been selling in the Strand. When Tilly was separated from her young son, do we know much about the emotional impact that had on her or is there a sense that because she'd sort of grown up seeing this class divide on, you know, one side of poverty in London, one across the road, there was, you know, affluence and wealth and glamour, was Frederick an afterthought or do we think that really hurt her? There's nothing on record but later in her life, when her razor gang years were over, this is in the 50s and 60s, she gave a lot of money to homeless children's homes and children's hospitals. So I extrapolated through that that perhaps there was this lingering regret that she never really became a mother. But I just think that her ambition perhaps overruled her motherly instincts and she made her choice. She wasn't going to stay in London with Frederick and her family. She was going to come to Sydney with Big Jim and she was going to make money. Tell me about Jim Devine and a little bit about his relationship with Tilly. Was it a happy marriage? No. I guess there must have been something at the beginning. But he was a big talker and he was a, a very physical man. He was tall, big mop of curly hair, talked a big game. But he was, back in Sydney, he was nothing more than a pimp. He was involved in minor crime and so forth. But he lived off Tilly when she was a prostitute through the 20s and then lived off her when she became a brothel keeper and he sponged off her basically the whole life. There were many instances of him beating her and she often turned up bruised and so forth and she ended up divorcing him and it was around about 1946. Dr Lee Straw is an academic, historian and writer. Her book, The Worst Woman in Sydney, is a biography of Sydney underworld figure Kate Lee. And it details the relationship between Kate and Tilly and the events that unfolded in East Sydney across the late 20s and early 30s. You'll hear more from Lee as we learn about Kate Lee's life in our next episode. But as for Tilly, Lee Straw says it's a miracle she even survived her marriage to Jim. Well, Tilly Devine was Kate Lee's arch rival. Okay, and you get a fascinating story about these two women who are in a similar line of business but who really don't like each other. And the fascinating thing about the two women is that you've got very different characters here. You've got Tilly Devine. She was a war bride, okay? The War Memorial has her as a war bride because she met Jim Devine in London when she was a 16-year-old. She was working in the streets. He was in the AIF, but he didn't do much fighting at all. In fact, he was uh, AWOL a fair amount of the time, pretty roguish in terms of being a military man. And so they marry when she's in her teenage years and she comes over in 1919 as a war bride. She's an English woman in a very kind of like a real old Australian area, working class Australian area. And after the First World War, people are a little bit suspicious of those who are English because there's a backlash of what happened during the First World War and some of the troops having felt like they were just used as cannon fodder. 
And her marriage to Jim Devine was a very violent one as well. And so I'm always surprised that, in fact, she survived that marriage in some ways because of just the, the violence. They both were violent to each other, but he was incredibly violent against Tilly. And that's one of the very serious parts of domestic violence is that it is remarkable that some women actually survive it. And so I think it made Tilly tougher. It made her look out for herself. You're listening to True Crime Conversations with me, Emma Gillespie. I'm speaking with Razor author Larry Reiter and historian and author Lee Straw about Tilly Devine, the brothel queen of Darlinghurst. Tilly and Jim arrived in Sydney in 1920. Tilly's CV of petty crimes and sex work was long and robust by 1925, when after just five years here in Sydney, she was well and truly known to police. Larry Ryder told me how Tilly began to make a name for herself in those first five years. She was quite beautiful when she arrived, when she was a young woman. Her early mugshots that are available show her to be, I think she was described as having a complexion as fair as a hayrick in summer. And she was quite beautiful and she was quite practised at sex work and became one of the more sought-after sex workers in Sydney. But as she grew older, 1928, something like that, when she was 28 years of age, she had begun to put on weight and she became quite coarse in her appearance and smoking and drinking and so forth aged her beyond her years. So when she became less in demand as a sex worker, she had so many contacts and she had the drive and the ruthlessness to become a brothel keeper, to become a madam. And she was wealthy enough now to open a number of brothels in which she installed other sex workers. And she took 50% of their earnings. At her height, she had 28 or 30 brothels in Sydney around Darlinghurst, Kings Cross, Willamalea, places like that. But it has to be said too that a lot of the women who work for Tilly, this is the depression. And a lot of the women who worked for her were desperate and their husbands had gone off to the bush trying to get work, picking fruit and so forth. And to put food on their family's tables, a lot of women came in and they would commute in from the outer suburbs, work for Tilly in the day and then go back to their families at night. Taking it back a little bit, after those tumultuous sort of first five years, mid-20s, Tilly ended up in Long Bay for maliciously wounding a person with a razor blade. How did her time in prison change her? And did that inform, you know, what we've just heard about this sort of empire of brothels that she eventually builds up? Was that a result of what she learned or reflected on in prison? It certainly didn't deter her. She was incorrigible and it sounds gratuitous, but the fact that she'd been convicted over 100 times in her life for various things, including, you know, violence and assault and attacking people with razors and... Uh, attacking other gangsters with racism and and so forth. She kept going into jail. She served around 25, 28, 30 jail terms that are known. But when she got out, she cheerfully went back to work doing what she'd done before. So I don't think the experience of jail was a deterrent to her. What about brothel ownership? What were the laws around sex work at the time in Sydney and how did Tilly Devine use them to her advantage? There was a series of laws that were brought in in the early years of the 20th century, and they were laws that prevented street prostitution and 
weirdly prevented men from running sex workers. There was no mention there of women. Thinking about the kind of social attitudes about women at the time, you know, women were not meant to be seen as business people. There weren't many opportunities for women in terms of work. You know, you, you could get work easily as a secretary, but you certainly couldn't get work easily in any kind of management role. That didn't happen for decades. So Tilly sees this as an opportunity. There isn't an expectation that a woman could really be running a business and certainly a business like that. So Tilly, when the women were not allowed to work on the street, she merely moved them inside and opened up brothels and there were brothels that had expensive decor and so forth and there were others that were quite basic. But she catered to all tastes. And so she kept 50% of the takings of the women, but she looked after them. She gave them medical attention, regular medical checkups. She made sure that other men couldn't act as pimps to these women, but she demanded loyalty from them. If one of her sex workers defected to another brothel keeper or was withholding money, there was usually a violent rebuke. It's quite ingenious to think how she empowered herself through a sexist, gendered kind of law. Does that speak to her character? She was very smart, very ambitious and very canny. She would have seen a loophole a thousand miles away, just like Kate did with Sly Grog. She had a hair-trigger temper. She was very pretentious. She believed that she was amazingly beautiful and that she was a class above everybody else, even though... You know, she came from the most impoverished background, but she would carry dogs with her and she would wear the fur coat and all of the rings and she would have her hair done a couple of times a week. She'd wear a lot of makeup, expensive shoes, all of these things. So she didn't look like a down and out. She was one of the most stylish women in Sydney until he very, very much cornered the market in prostitution in Sydney by being smarter, more ruthless and more threatening, I guess, than any of the other people in the same line of work. As clever and canny as Tilly Devine was, Kate Lee, a rival crime queen 19 years her senior, had the chops and experience to match her. The feud between Kate Lee and Tilly Devine is folklore. But Mm. where did it all begin? Why did they hate each other so much? Because they were the two uh, dominant gangsters first and there were women second. In a town where there were no shortage of crooks and serious gangsters, they were the numbers one and two. And they were both kind of equal in in that. And they loved the notoriety and the fame and they loved people tipping their hats to them when they walked down the street. It was important to them to dominate each other. And although their criminality that they both involved in didn't really overlap, It was just the fact that they were women and each one wanted to dominate the other. True Crime Conversations is a Mamma Mia podcast produced by Gia Moylan. I'm Emma Gillespie and I'll be back next week continuing our four-part series on the Razor Gangs of East Sydney and the crime queens at the centre of them, Tilly Devine and Kate Lee.